to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hey everyone, summer is soon upon us, although the future seems slightly less joyous. I keep releasing these episodes, but I do wonder exactly what they're doing in contrast to these times affected by COVID-19. I hope you as listeners are taking care of yourselves and don't feel the capitalistic need to produce in order to live. A comment made by my friend Carol Zoe, who is also a previous guest of the show. So in these times, just make sure you can find some space for yourself. For today, I have an older recording with Rosalia Namsai Unchong, a social anthropologist and filmmaker I met in Berlin. Rosalia holds an MA in Modern South and Southeast Asian Studies from Humboldt University and a BA in Asian Studies and Management from Hochschule Konstanz. Currently, she is pursuing a PhD at the Max Planck Institute. Her research is concerned with the roots and becoming of the larger ecosystem of independent film communities in Indonesia, shamanism and technology on film sets, and the politics of nation-building from the grassroots and its manifestation in a very particular Indonesian aesthetic. I had some free time to visit Rosalia this past winter and was able to meet her in Yogyakarta, Indonesia for a week. I didn't know Rosalia's schedule at the time, and I did not know if I would have the chance to interview her, so I didn't bring my audio equipment, but a time did present itself, and I ended up recording on my phone in a room next to a small alley, which seemed favored by motorcyclists and near a mosque, which had its call to prayer in the middle of our interview. Needless to say, there are few sounds that pop up as we chat. Our conversation meanders through different forms of knowledge, the mindsets of collectivism, and anthropology 101, all through the lens of two westernized Asians. This trip was my first real introduction to Indonesia, so I apologize for my lack of prior knowledge of the country. My goal was not to try to exotify the culture and instead come from one of learning and curiosity. Of course, such lines can easily be blurred, and I hope it comes across more of the latter than the former. In any case, stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy this. Ready? Yes. All right. Right now, I'm talking to Rosalia and Juan, and we're in Indonesia in Jogja or Jogjakarta, and it's it just rained and it's kind of cool for a while. We've been sort of hanging out, meeting some people. As in just a few background information, I met Rosalia in Berlin while I was there, and we had both attended a open crit studio with an artist, and then I learned a little bit about Rosalia's research very on a very. Um, like from one sentence that she told me while at the critique, and then I just followed up and was um, the more I learned about her project, I was more and more intrigued. And when I heard that Rosalia was in Indonesia, which I haven't been to, and I took the opportunity to get on a plane and check it out. So yeah, I guess the first thing is I guess I'm curious how how did you end up getting to um, Indonesia? Okay, that's people ask that a lot here here in Indonesia. Like Should I break why it, why I break it down here? In a way? It's very difficult. No, but I can I think I can start because it's not really I always tell people it's not one decision that I made. It was just many things that it was never a conscious decision basically, but now I'm now that I'm here I'm super happy to be here and I'm definitely sure it's the right thing. So how did I end up here? I mean, I grew up in Germany and when my father is Thai, my mom is German and I always was curious about Thailand. We went there like every year. Had a like holiday. summers? 
Yeah, summers, winters, also winters. Oh, really? But um, yeah, so I Thailand was not really something that is completely away from me, but it was also something where I didn't go for a very long time. So it was not really my my context. So I have these childhood memories, but it was always more holiday kind yeah. of situation. But as soon as I got older, I went alone or I went with my friends. And so I spent time in Thailand, I think, almost every year. When did you start going alone? Like what age? Oh, young, like 13 or something. Wait, you went by yourself to Thailand yeah. at 13? I mean, I was <laughs> I was flying alone, but um, then my cousin, in the beginning, my cousin would pick me up in Bangkok to take me to to the other gate at the airport so I can fly to Krabi. So my family was with me oh, in the okay, beginning okay. when I did that. And they picked me up and all of that, yeah. And then did you grow up learning Thai? Was getting around in Thailand difficult? I grew up speaking Thai with my dad when I was very young. But at some point we we stopped speaking Thai to each other for some reason. That was also never a conscious decision. But looking back now, I think it was also linked to me going to a German kindergarten, going to high school and maybe not wanting to, to be too different and then wanting my dad to speak German. And so at some point he just started speaking German and now I speak German to him, which is mm. really a pity because now I'm trying to learn Thai again. Yeah. But I still understand almost yeah. everything. It's so I know what people are saying. I can have small talk conversations and the longer I'm there, the better it gets also. But it's definitely something I'm I'm still working on. Yeah. Um learning to be really fluent yeah. and talk to people and to my family yeah 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 and then and you grew up where in germany in the south of germany okay. yeah within like more a very rural area very very different from berlin yes yeah. it's, it's really a different world yeah it's quite conservative and people um don't have a very open mindset about people and things that are different at the same time it's very beautiful i've heard that I, I regret yeah. not traveling as much <laughs> yeah you in should germany. have it's really beautiful it's stunning i was yeah. trying to learn german and so yeah. i was like taking german classes five days a week <laughs> and that all came to naught <laughs> yeah and then so then for college what did you what did you end up studying Oh, yeah. And then going this all going back to Thailand made me just more curious. I was so curious. I wanted to to spend time there. I went to high school in Thailand for like two months or really? so. Oh, that's um, awesome. My, my aunt is a teacher at a school in Krabi. So I just organized this like an unofficial exchange or something. And I went to a Thai high school, which was a really interesting time also. Um, there were many things going on that I didn't really expect I think and um, because in Thai high school you're supposed to wear a school uniform and everything and it seems very strict but in the end people like climb over the walls and don't attend school and it was it was just really interesting because Mm. I had my ideas of what it would be like and then it was so different Yeah, yeah yeah yes yeah and then I got curious i just was looking for ways i think to spend more time in asia back then um i did my undergrad in international management and that's maybe one of the first reasons why i'm in indonesia now because i studied asian studies with a focus on indonesia how did you end up choosing um i think I ended up choosing that because I really wanted to study Thai, but I didn't find a program that I liked. And I still thought back then I have to study something like business or something yeah. that is not just, I don't know, philosophy or yeah. art or something. I just like, it didn't even come to my mind. I think it was also my my circle of friends and all of my whole yeah. environment. It just was not an option to me. Mm. So I just thought like, oh, there's this program and I can go... Um, live abroad for one year, live in Asia for one year, and then, yeah. So basically, that was more than 10 years ago when I came to Indonesia for the first time. 
So you went the first time yeah. in while you were in college. Yes. And were you learning Indonesian? Or? Yes, I was learning Indonesian okay. too. But then I didn't go back for like almost ten years. So of course I, I forgot a lot of my Indonesian, but somehow also something was still there. I sometimes I also have the feeling I feel better in you, which I can't. I really can't explain it. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I think, I think, yeah. me living in China, mm. I feel that too. Yeah. Especially the contrast after coming from Berlin. Yes, it's it's a <laughs> it's, big difference. It's yeah. really different. Yeah. Yeah, and somehow your environment does something to you. Yeah. I mean, it it shapes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and then so, you ended up finishing your business degree with got focus on. Asian studies in Indonesia. Yes, and then I, um, after I was done with that, I mean, I did like several internships in Malaysia. I also lived in Malaysia for one year. Then I went to Hamburg and did an internship, but I worked on the in these corporate jobs. I worked on something that I considered somehow important, like business ethics and corporate social responsibility. But um, yeah, the more I was in it, I realized that it's really not what I want to do. Also, from I stopped believing in it that you can even within an organization or a very capitalist system, it doesn't really change a lot when you try to have some corporate mm. responsibility programs. It was just not for me also the going to the office every day and doing this kind of work I was just really unhappy it didn't feel it was kind of from outside nice like oh she got all these internships and that's amazing and this is going to be a good career so you're going to do this step this step this step but it just didn't feel very right I was not happy at mm-hmm. all yeah and then I <laughs> for Two months or so, I started. So I moved to Berlin then, uh-huh. and I did. I just freelanced a bit. I worked for this research company. I worked in a yoga studio also in Berlin in a cafe. I did like several you, things. You were a yoga teacher? No, I I just <laughs> volunteered in the yoga oh, studio okay. so I could do free lessons. Uh, basically, oh, okay, okay. I wasn't teaching. Okay. Yeah, and then I started. Okay, let's do do a master's degree. Then I started to do an MBA where my parents already told me like this is weird this doesn't seem you like why do you want to study business again and I think I was and still they, they thinking yeah yeah and they know me sometimes better than I know myself and I was still thinking I guess I need to do this to yeah. have like a life and yeah, but I stopped this after I went to three lectures or something. It was in Potsdam and it was really, I think it was the moment when they learned us how to trick people, how to manipulate their memory, their childhood memories to buy something. Uh-huh. And then it was praised as the very best thing you could do. And I just thought like, wow, this is not what I want to yeah. do or what I would be proud of doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I did Asian studies. I changed the university and had yeah changed my focus on thailand and what was that what was the field about thailand like it literature was history. area studies and i got interested in the construction of thai femininity mm-hmm. also from personal reasons because i wanted to understand better the stereotypes that i'm facing where they're coming from historically mm-hmm. how they are constructed and yeah was it good helpful the program um not so much the program maybe because you kind of have to puzzle everything together yourself there was support from some people who um who kind of supported me to do my master thesis which was very helpful and of course having the space but when it comes to readings or theories or things that I would integrate, it's I just all had to find it myself. It but wasn't the, the, really ready The discussion there. wasn't there. No, it was other topics that didn't really interest me. It was just I had, but of course the space of doing this gave me the ability to to look out mm-hmm. for things mm-hmm. and to to, yeah. <laughs> to understand or to, yeah, not you can never fully understand, but to get a bit 
closer. And I think what reading all of these things and realizing that how historically ideals have been constructed just helped me to understand that that I don't need to be defined from outside yeah. because what is what defines you from outside is a construct and it's also very fragile when you really look at it and it helped me very much to just not let this affect me anymore yeah yeah, yeah I guess when you just stay within the knowledge that is handed to you or that you're supposed to learn it's you're just gonna stay within a very yeah you just gonna be stuck <laughs> I mean, I think I uh, heard Bon Appetit say, Bon Appetit is the director or curator of Savi, mm -hmm. contemporary. Yeah. And uh, Savi does a lot of these um, social art projects and curation and a lot to do with community. And but anyway, Bon, bon Appetit was like, can we like for once have a wall text that talks about madness without ever having to reference Foucault? Right. And sort of like how, like, what does it add mm. to reference something that uh, we already kind of know, but also like, can we more, more importantly, can we like find new ways of thinking in doing that in trying to find other references and trying to find other forms of knowledge that hasn't just been assumed to be the only way to think about something. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree on this now. Now that I'm in, in the PhD and I think get more and more an insight into how knowledge is constructed and all these, like, when we talk about something, yeah, who do we reference and whose knowledge do we reproduce? It's, um, it's I think it's very important. And I feel like a lot of people stop by recognizing, yeah, maybe a lot of knowledge is written by white Western men. But we don't have anything else, or yeah. it's, but too hard. it's too hard, yeah. and all these buts. And for me, I'm I'm really trying to do this differently. I wasn't really able to go to move around Foucault in my master thesis. I was still working with his um, theories, but trying to see it also from a Thai perspective and see where maybe it it doesn't really match. But yeah. now, since I have more time and I'm really trying to, to find different theories and maybe things that would not even be considered a theory, just different kinds of knowledges. Um, yeah, and I think it's, it's really a challenge to, to stay within the system, also to, to get published if you don't reference some people. Mm -hmm. Some peer reviewers would be, oh, you talk about, like, just talking about your example, you can't talk about madness without citing. Yeah. But I also feel there is a shift now. So if you do it well, um, if you do it, if you have a reason to to cite or to reference theories or knowledges, and if it does make sense, if you really think it through, yeah. and not just look for a random alternative that maybe doesn't doesn't really fit in a context, then I think there is a shift and it's possible and I see more and more people doing it and there's so much out there the question then again is do people put it on the syllabus will the yeah. students read it mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah I feel especially my generation of PhDs the one that I meet um, makes me kind of hopeful and I hope this this is the, the right impression that I'm getting <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah How much time did you take off between your finishing your master's and then your PhD? Mm, not much. It was so fast. That was really strange. Because usually you, you have to write so many proposals. and But yeah. I somehow, I think um, half a year or something. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, I finished with the master's. And then I... Back then, I didn't yet know that I wanted to do a PhD, but then I went to a conference in Bangkok and I was suddenly surrounded by so many people who are doing a PhD. I was presenting my master's thesis back then. And then suddenly I thought, for the first time, I thought, oh, maybe I could do that. Mm -hmm. Because it's not that like everyone asks, you kind of have to ask. I had to ask for it. Mm -hmm. I had to step up and say, I want to do a PhD. And then it worked out, but it took me, it's not an easy step. It took me a while to realize that I could do it. Mm. And the more I talked to other people, I also realized that many people say, I don't think I could ever do this. I would never dare to even 
consider doing this because they so, don't believe in themselves yeah because they don't maybe that could be one reason but also because they're not asked because mm. there are no role models that people like you would do a phd many reasons yeah yeah or just this myth that you have to be very intelligent or which is you have to be willing to work really hard yeah <laughs> that's what it is and you have to be really really crazy about your topic yeah and so that's yeah yeah <laughs> What did you apply with? Uh, my proposal was, so basically how it works a bit once you then decide you, you want to do a PhD. And then I went to conferences so people would know my work. And then I was really just lucky because my now supervisor was at this conference and he approached me and told me about his project. Uh -huh. And he said he just liked the way I was engaging with theory and he was basically looking for people to join his team back mm. then. And yeah, and then we, we met there. And so I wrote a proposal on, um, he because he got the funding for to do a project in related to Islam. Okay. And then I told him, because back then I was already trying to craft my proposal to do a comparative study between Thailand and Indonesia. Mm -hmm. But um, it's very hard. It's too much to do. In anthropology, you cannot do a comparative study for a PhD. That is, it, you can't really do it well because it's too much. Mm. It's just very, um, yeah. And then... At first, I thought maybe then I should not do this because I wanted to do work in Thailand. And at some point, I realized what is most important now to me is to work on film because I got really fascinated with film. Mm -hmm. And I wrote my master thesis also related to film. It mm. was kind of a film analysis. Yeah, this is just something that I realized, okay, film is now more important to me, so let's do a PhD on film in Indonesia. And looking back now, I think I didn't really make a compromise because I being here in Indonesia also brought me closer to Thailand. And now I'm almost done and I'm probably going to do my next project in Thailand. So at that moment, it felt like such a big decision, like deciding against Thailand, against my identity and whatever. And now I feel like, no, it's not. It was still for that. It was the right decision. How did you end up deciding though between Thailand and Indonesia? At that no, point? I had to. This project was oh. Indonesia. Oh, okay. I couldn't ha it would not have been possible the in Thailand because of Islam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's just like these tiny little rules in the funding things that you need to navigate somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so do you want to talk a bit about ultimately what... Uh, how your PhD evolved or changed or the research you've been doing? Because mm. as I understand it, mm. I, actually, I didn't know it started out with Islam, actually. Because you yes. don't talk too much about it relative to what it seems to be exciting you, but also the people you've been talking to. Yeah, yeah, I think that was also something that Islam is a very prominent topic in for studies of Indonesia. Um, because after 98, after the political reformation and democratization, Islam became stronger, more visible. I mean, we can, we can see it here when we walk around. We can see it when you look at pictures of like decades ago, it was different. But also, I, so the picture of Indonesia that you get sometimes also in the media is one that becomes more and more conservative. And so when I came here, it's a super long story, but basically the people I ended up working with now that you also met, they are also Muslims, but they're so much more than that. Yeah. All these things just became much more interesting. And then I also realized at some point, I think during the research, at first I was trying to follow the rules on how you do research. You have like these textbooks, but when you're in in situations with people, it's often you just realize it doesn't apply. And especially as an anthropologist, you don't go with 10 questions and then yeah. you interview people. You just hang out with them. I think it's so nice that you came with me because now you have an idea of how I work yeah 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 <laughs> you can't really plan and no. um so i was just trying also to let things be and just follow my intuition and 
let connections be and links be and just follow that and immerse myself a bit, but not be trying to be too much in control of what I need to know. Yeah. So that's why I then found other things, basically. Yeah. And I also think working with filmmakers who maybe don't go to, who don't make commercial films, who are not super famous when you don't like, not yet, some of them becoming, of course, because they're doing great work, but it's not, it's not commercial mainstream cinema that I'm interested in. So what about the film scene are you looking at in Indonesia? I'm looking at mostly short films. Um, short films that are made sometimes by high school students, not even film students always by yeah by so called they call it um communitas films or film communities. It's mostly collective productions of of films here. And at some point, I also realized why I was really wanted to to work on on communitas film films because they also work on creating representations that are not yet available in mainstream media or that so there and then I realized that growing up in Germany I was facing exactly the same situation that someone like me was not really represented or mm -hmm. terribly misrepresented yeah, yeah, yeah. in mainstream media so I think despite all the differences that we have this is something that we have in common also yeah why I thought it would be more interesting to work and more not only interesting more important just to dedicate because doing a phd it's really it's four years of your life it's really hard work so at least i kind of want to make sure i work on something that i consider yeah. very important yeah even though i still don't i'm still finding out on what i'm actually working <laughs> I started with film, <laughs> then I realized a film is just one tiny little point in a much, much bigger network. Through film, then I realized, okay, through film, you learn so much about Indonesia and how people negotiate being in Indonesia, how they, um, how they want to change Indonesia, represent Indonesia, so, so many things. So now, then at some point I went to, yeah, from studying film to studying practices of collective world making. So yeah, yeah. Do you want? Yeah, I was about to ask because, like, how have you discovered this idea of collectivity in Indonesia, especially in contrast to the U.S.? Because I mean, I think it's funny you said like film is a collective process, and because mm. filmmaking is such a big endeavor, like mm. anytime we see most movies. There's tons and tons and tons of people, and mm. we know that because we, the credits go on for like five minutes. Um, I think I mean if if it's a commercial production in the West, um, people are getting paid to be there, so they do what they are paid for. And a friend of mine um gave me an example once, and she said um that she when she worked in New York, it was like everyone had their their responsibility to do things on a set and mm. at some point she just picked something up because she wanted to carry it. she wanted to help someone from another division in yeah. a production and they were like what are you doing why are you doing this don't do this mm. and this is like kind of yeah yeah you you want to help others you're like it's more like a team yeah thing and then also the film productions that i was following in some cases people are also not paid like with money or anything so it's also a completely different motivation of, of being in there this took me a really long time to i mean i sensed from the beginning that something was very very different but i couldn't really point to it and then a few months into my research, I think, I, I still remember this conversation. Someone said to me, oh, but Rosalia, this is Gotong Royong. Yes. This is what we do. Can I describe that? And Gotong Royong is this notion of lifting something up together. It's, I, I can't really translate it because I think you, you can't, you shouldn't translate it also, but it's this notion of doing something together rather than doing something um, it's about enjoying the process not only working towards an outcome and this is something I realized because often 
on set, people said, no, the most important thing is that everyone is happy. And it's also if you're doing something and you're not getting paid for it, at least you should enjoy yeah. the process and have fun doing it. Um, but it, it's really complex. I don't want to idealize it too much. It brings problems, of course, because we live in a world where we need to pay for food and for rent. So you can't just always, it's it's luxury to afford to be able to help your friends for free. Yeah. And um, yeah, so the whole capitalist system starts to penetrate, of course, these film communities as well, and they change and some become more formal and... It's very complex, but it's a different way. It's a different mentality and also different practice of working together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked how you said it's a luxury to help your friend for free. Because yeah. probably most people here wouldn't describe that as a luxury. No, I mean, you if you have to work every day to eat, yeah, yeah. you don't have the time. Right, to, right. So it's also a certain social class that can engage in, in these kinds of activities. Mm. But it's also, as, as you also said, they wouldn't see it as a luxury for them. It's totally, it's just the, norm, the most normal thing to do. There's no yeah. question to it. It's a very embodied knowledge. So sometimes when I ask about it, people are also like, why are you asking about this? Mm. And then I have to say, yeah, I come from a completely different background and people would not. And now we, we already start to really like have these discussion, these meta discussions on like thinking about what is this and is yeah. it a philosophy or is it a practice? When does it end? So I feel like at this point, when I understood, okay, this is about collectivity or Gotong Royong and many related things, now I we can learn together because some things that you just know, you it's also hard to to put it into words. And of course, I can't do it because I'm an outsider and I just came here for a year and a couple of months. So this is also something we're trying to do together then. And then I'm also working with, with artists who who thought about this topic for a very long time. I'm just trying to more and more understand it because in the literature so far, it's still talked about and some anthropologists also wrote about it, but it was more about this shared poverty and in on the village level, like poor people helping each other because um, no one else would help them. And I think it it's a very victimizing um, way of talking about it and I think there's more to it like it's not only because yeah I think there's much more to it and I also want to yeah. just see it I I mean when you're doing research you're also writing a story you can write a victim story or not and yeah. I really want to find this other story I guess the interesting thing that the, uh, the, uh, the interesting thing that is seems to be of the moment is also the fact that a very particular collective has been named the curators or directors of the next documenta, right? And Ruang Rupa. Yeah, Ruang yes. Rupa, right? And so, like, there's a sort of, I think we were talking about this earlier, but a, perhaps a fetishization of this community building or this idea of community that's existing that I'm so also trying to wrap my head around also. Um, I mean, I think I was thinking about this a lot the past few weeks after that announcement how most of the people that I hung out with and that also could be my fault and the people who I happen to know but all the people who I know never talked about this group and uh, you know I mean, yeah I mean I guess they are first and foremost important in the Indonesian context yeah and it's also it's not only Ruang Rupa it's also the way how Forum Lenteng works, it's the way Kunchi works, it's the way Life Patch works, like so many, yeah. like thousands yeah. of other groups of people who use art, whatever kind of medium to bring about social change in a very local context. And Rang Rupa is now kind of in the spotlight, but it's not it's not the only right, right. only collective to do that. And I think the choice of and I guess I think it's it's interesting and for me it's also and this is also something I'm seeing with myself that um, this very isolated individual western way of life where you 
you maybe have the financial means to sustain yourself so you don't need the help of others yeah um but then all these human connections get lost along the way and i think i mean the west has problems with people being lonely isolation depression and all of that and i think um this is also why there is a longing for now that we realize maybe this doesn't make us really happy there's a longing for other other ways of life and and also with knowledges and everything we just realize oh rational thinking maybe this is not all there is and now there is the search for something it says much more about i think it doesn't say anything about ruang rupa or indonesia it says something about the west the wanting the that west. Yeah, or just having this desire and being interested at this yeah. point. Yeah. And I think um, maybe it's also not important for these collectives like Wang Rupa or all the other collectives to be known in the West. It's important that they do their work here in Indonesia, which they're already doing. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's just my, I don't know. You, you would have to ask them and speak to them because yeah. I don't know. But that's just like how I also sometimes think Oh, I wish, at first I was like, I wish people would know what amazing things, what is happening here, what people are doing yeah. here. But at some point I also thought like, maybe they're just missing out <laughs> yeah. if they don't know and if they're not interested in it, if they want to keep on studying the mainstream and the loudest and yeah. then, then that's what it is. And if you look out, it's, I did this thing now where in my writing I try to to uh, have like a strike what do you call it strike through strike through yeah strike, strike through, through yeah. when I write so I don't write like alternative filmmakers or like marginal filmmakers or something where I just put a strike through uh-huh. because I think it's it's this whole idea of making things that are not known or invisible groups or individuals visible, mm -hmm. it always speaks from a center. It always speaks from a center that now is interested in something. And I think when you, what anthropology tries to do, maybe doesn't, can never really achieve, but tries to do is like taking the perspective of the people. Mm -hmm. And you cannot be alternative to yourself or yeah. to you cannot be marginal in your own life so this is still a discourse that criticizes but still works with it criticizes the center but it still works within that binary and i'm trying really hard just to drop that and to to start from a point where where you just see that these things are already happening and already working and people can it's there you just need to look yeah. you just need to make an effort and of course it's easy we get like our standard books like there's only so much a person can know but i think we really really need to look what else is out there because it's already there that's yeah. the thing it is already there i mean knowledge is kind of shaped through interaction and through i think it came up yesterday in our discussion yeah. knowledge is dialogue yeah it's nothing fixed and I'm wondering more and more as I think really through this whole idea of knowledge because my first argument then was that that filmmakers and artists also create alternative knowledges and but the reception of an artwork or of a film is something that's never stable so mm. now I'm thinking more in this kind of dialogue approach about a process that establishes something that is maybe very close to knowledge, but it's not knowledge. It's also when I ask people here about knowledge or about like you not know, traditional knowledge, as noble knowledges, they are like, no, not knowledge. Knowledge is the, the things in school. Like that's what you're taught in school. And there's other wisdoms. I don't I don't know a better uh, word for it. But I have the feeling we need another word for it because knowledge is so like yeah. something for example yo-yo yesterday explained to me because i'm trying to understand how also the the conception of self here is 
relational and not like individual individual yeah and um so i was asking him how do you know that you are like a part of nature and nature is part of you yeah. and then he was explaining me about how how ants come out of the earth before the rain and all these things like how you and i think there's also these stories you need to fact check but like people would no, because some fish did something, so they knew that a tsunami was gonna come. Mm -hmm. Like there is a lot of knowledge that actually works better than technology because the the warning the systems did not always work. Um, and then I also asked him, how do you know this? Do you learn this in school? And then no, of course not. You don't learn this in school. You learn this from your parents, from your family. But you did. I'm getting more and more interested in this because it's this is also a problem with colonization because the school system as is now in Indonesia is a product of colonization. Yeah. And a um, mixture of Dutch, yeah. Japanese and then more yeah. Dutch. Yeah, so it, it's been different before. And I think that's what's kind of also beautiful because even though there is like all this mess through colonization people are still finding ways to go around that and to live different lives outside yeah. of or in parallel to it it's also not a direct confrontation it's more just like this just do what you believe in and figure out a plan without really like step by step yeah depending on the situation always in negotiation with other people with other beings with the circumstances and not needing to arrive at one point it's just not defined yet yeah and yeah 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 i mean i think i don't know why i think me living in china also is sort of like forcing me to rethink just how to not live but how to <laughs> rethink how one's existence is so different Right. And I think thinking yeah. about as you're describing the scenario here and I'm thinking in terms of like what I realized after living in China for a few months is like it's simple to say that, but then it's really hard to understand it. It's really hard to have it. Yes. How, have it yeah. It's really hard to have it dictate your decisions. Totally. Right. Because, yeah. Because it's not your natural embodied normal yeah. that you don't question yeah. so you have to unlearn what you instinctively do in order to understand like, in order to understand person. it's yeah. really hard it's yeah hard. yeah yes of course right, but but that's but that's also i think what's interesting about like both me being in china and trying to understand people mm. and also like hanging out with you and hanging out with kunchi and hanging out with the different collectives here and just like like realizing that also like even the word collectivism is different and how it's framed and how it seems to exist in a way that I'm not sure I can really define or understand. Right? It definitely is different. And I also, I'm also still learning, um, but definitely it is a very different thing. Yes. Because it's very contextual. It's so connected. You cannot just take it and, and then look at it and understand it because in order to understand about collectivity, you need to understand about the history, you need to understand about cosmologies, worldviews. It's like, because it's just like, yeah, you, if a human being is part of a collective, it's not just as a worker or just, it's yeah. just like everything that comes with it. Yeah. So it's such a complicated, I tried to visualize it once. It's like this completely rhizomatic thing. You cannot, you can mm. never really, because there's so many things coming together. But what I think what even you were able to do within this very short time and me after maybe a bit more than a year, you can sense it. Yeah. You can feel it, but you can't put it into, like somehow you do know it because you experience it a little bit. You've got a sense of it. But this putting this into theories and words now this is where it gets right well, right because because we're because it's being forced into a system yeah. of knowledge which is western yes yes and that way yes. of thinking perhaps is yeah not the language isn't there and also mm. the people writing it also like i don't know about you but if i were to then write about like i don't even 
I can't even think in a non-individualistic way. So yeah, if yeah, I can't, so, so if I can't, if I can't yeah. think like that, how am I supposed <laughs> am I to then? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, um, yes. at least in a way that does it mm. justice. Because, because like I was thinking, like when you're talking about the, the the window shopkeepers selling in the same street, my my very first thought was like the capitalistic one, which is like, oh, it's so that the customer can go to one place and find a, not have to travel around. You yeah. know, that's like a very practical capitalistic <laughs> yeah, way of thinking, yeah. right? Um, and then to then to not even allow for a possibility of a different way or reasoning or I mean I would argue that the idea that they're not in competition but at least for now to even allow for the thinking that they're just helping each other out is so is is not even um, a thought that gets much time for it to be pondered about right from a Western perspective yeah yeah. Yeah. So, but I think I and I brought this up last night, and I'm really curious. I'm really curious about Documenta because I brought this up with with the people there about sort of like because I think the other thing that's different. I mean, some some artists definitely in the West do a sort of collectivism, which is I think based in this sort of strange rhizomatic mm-hmm. web. But I think f- at least the the works that are most that get the most press and that the way that biennials and big shows seem to work is they sort of invite the artists to do act as i think mm-hmm. act as artists as savant artists as savior artists as instigator of change which is the complete opposite of this sort of uh, research-based but also not just research-based but community building and actually spending the time to to make it very context specific, right? In a way that allows for not just like a single event to happen and then document, but have an actual community change. And I think what I'm really curious about, and I guess we'll just have to wait, is just like how will Documenta work against that? Since it is, it's working within the Western idea of like, Mm. let's bring in artists Mm -hmm. to this random middle of nowhere German city. (laughs) with mm-hmm. almost no context that most artists are interested in, right? Like the reason artists have always loved that city is I understand it's like, it's sort of a blank city for you to do whatever you want. And you can like ignore the city, you, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Like all the famous pieces I know f- from Documenta, they, they don't talk about Casa, they, talk, they use it as like a playground. Mm-hmm. And so then to see how that translates, I'm curious for the next Documenta. Yeah, I'm very curious too. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Is there <laughs> anything else that I missed? Any plugs you want to give? Or mm, no, I think we talked so much, so I can't really <laughs> make the difference between what we talked about now or the other days. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm super happy that you're here because yeah, even talking about things that I experience is much harder than you just being here. So I think you got a sense, you got like a little sense of, of a, sm- a smudge, smidge. Yeah, of how things are here. And like, yeah, I mean, it's also not completely different. I also don't know how to think about different. It's a completely different thing, but at the same time, I also feel much closer to my friends here than to some people in Germany. So, because sometimes in anthropology, you have this idea, you go to a culture that is completely foreign to you. And yeah. I feel like we like the same kind of music and we have fun together. So I also feel close yeah. in a way. Yeah. And then I was also wondering, like, what is it that connects us? I think it's many things, but one of the things is also that, of course, these these artists, collectors, filmmakers, collectors in Indonesia is not the majority of Indonesia. It's yeah. also like many people here also have day jobs and office jobs and these things. So I thought maybe it's also this and what probably in your case also totally applies is this kind of I'm not going to accept what is like within the standard mm-hmm. template of life for me. Yeah. I don't, that's not what I want and I want something else. And I think that's also what 
makes me also feel very close. And that's also why I'm coming back all the time. I mean, I'm kind of done with the research and often people leave and they never come back. Really? Yes. It happens a lot in anthropology. Mm. Yeah. You're kind of doing your field work and then you're going back and doing the analysis. And it's very, I think, super problematic because I think people you work with in your research, they need to be able to speak back. And that's what I'm trying to do also when I talk to, to Sikri and to Forum Lenting and to, to all of them. I, I kind of tell them about what I learned, what I think. And then we have conversations that maybe they also wouldn't have because I like just a few days ago, we talked about non-chrome for like three hours and they said, oh, this is funny. Like we never made such a serious <laughs> talk about non-chrome, but kind of also enjoyed it. Yeah. So I feel like by... Yeah, it's kind of more both ways that yeah. I'm trying to It's, to it's hopefully an exchange. Yeah. It's an exchange where I'm definitely not the person who knows better. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. And also something that takes a very long time and that will not stop suddenly because, yeah, I think I'm also not here just to, to get this PhD. I will, I will come back here when, I have, when I'm done with this. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure you will come back too. <laughs> at some point <laughs> I'm trying to do as much traveling while I'm in Asia but I don't know yeah. I've been thinking like also like I think what I described to you just like trying to understand yeah. this mindset of a non-individualistic one requires years and years and I already can like I know how much free time and like how that's not enough time to check out all these different places like um, yeah time time is not it's not only capital it's linked but time is time. also something that just destroys the potential for just hanging out for hours and letting things go their way yeah. you need to have the time yeah yes. yeah time's money <laughs> yeah um all right well i guess we can end on that thank you rosalia thank you <laughs> Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.